Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am definitely excited to be here today to have the opportunity to talk about Elder Dieter F. Utdorf of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And you know it's interesting how fast time can fly, especially for those of us who are a little bit older. I still remember the fall of 2004 because I had children who were uh, approaching uh, senior and junior year of high school. And uh, it was just a memorable time for us. But when Elder Bednar and President or and Elder, and Elder Udorf were called on the same day, once again, October of 2004, as the two brand new apostles. And to think just years later, it really seems like the blink of an eye. But here they are as senior apostles now in an order with President Ballard and then Elder Holland and then Elder Uddorf at number three, and then Elder Bednar at number four. It's just amazing how fast life can go. Well, let's set a tone here of what I would want to call <clears throat> the amazing life of Dieter Uddorf. And here's just one example. Elder Holland wrote this in Elder Uddorf's biography, printed in the Ensign years ago. But on December the 17th, 1973, the president of Lufthansa German Airlines in Frankfurt, Germany, received alarming news. Five terrorists had hijacked a Lufthansa 737 jet in Rome, Italy. They were making their way to Athens, Greece, with hostages on board. As they did so, 32 people lay dead in Rome, and one of the hostages now in flight was soon to be mortally shot and summarily dumped onto the airport runway in Athens with guns to the heads of the pilot and co-pilot and with hostages trembling in terror, the unstable hijackers directed a bizarre path from Rome to Beirut, to Athens, to Damascus, and then to Kuwait. In an instant, the president of Lufthansa ordered into the air his chief pilot for the 737 fleet. 33-year-old Dieter F. Utdorf was to take a small group of emergency personnel and follow the hijacked plane wherever the terrorists took it. And in every setting possible, he was to negotiate for the release of the plane, the pilots, and the hostages. Then, with all this had been accomplished, he was to fly the hijacked 737 back to headquarters in, Frank in Frankfurt. With, uh, fortunately, no more bloodshed, this mission, like so many others he had been on personally and professionally, was successfully accomplished. Unknown to him at the time, it was a portent of more important missions yet to come. Now... I know that in that story, as Elder Holland shares, that we're like, oh my gosh, Elder Holland, could you tell us more? This is a cliffhanger. You've left us hanging. What happened? How did this go? I mean, they make movies about stories like this. But at least from the story we know about the courage and the determination and the skill of President Utdorf. Now let's go back to the beginnings. Uh, President Utdorf grows up, or at least starts, he begins his life in Czechoslovakia. And on one occasion, he, his mother, and some of his siblings were in a public auditorium. His mother felt impressed to leave the building, to get out of there at once. 
And although the Udorfs were not members of the church at the time, we certainly know that the light of Christ and even the Holy Ghost can prompt and inspire people. And Sister Udorf felt that prompting to get her children out of that building at once. And she scurried away with her children as quickly as possible. Shortly thereafter, that building was bombed and most people in the auditorium were killed. But Sister Udorf and her children were spared. It's a reminder that the Lord's hand had his hand on these people throughout their lives and that he's protected them and kept them safe. After the war, Dieter's father worked in coal and uranium mines in Zwickau under environmental conditions that predisposed him to the development of cancer, and he dies at the age of 62. But President Udorf remembered his father as someone who was kind and loving and strong and tender. His father cherished his priesthood responsibilities as a deacon, a teacher, a priest, and an elder. His mother, Hildegard, who died in 91, was not only courageous, but a true convert and devoted disciple who served in many callings and capacities in the church. So one of the very first experiences the Udorfs are going to have as a family is they're going to have to leave Czechoslovakia because of the war and go to Germany. They're going to leave and travel to East Germany. So in 1944, the Udorfs leave Ostrava, Czechoslovakia and travel the 500 kilometers, translate that to over 300 miles. And whether they walked or rode, we're not sure, but they do eventually arrive in Zwickau in East Germany. Now Zwickau was a, a center for mining coal, and because of that, it became a strategic uh, target for Allied bombers. Four-year-old Dieter was frightened but also fascinated by the lights of the aircraft as they flew overhead. In fact, he remembers his mother taking him to air raid shelters for safety. And because Elder Udorf's father had been drafted into the German army, Sister Udorf bravely fended for her family as the war in Europe swirled about them. And so one of the great stories that President Udorf told during that time was that story on the train. In his talk called The Infinite Power of Hope, October 2008 General Conference, I would remind all of you what a great read that is. He said, Toward the end of World War II, my father was drafted into the German army and sent to the Western Front, leaving my mother alone to care for our family. And though I was only three years old, I can still remember this time of fear and hunger. We lived in Czechoslovakia, and with every passing day, the war became near and the danger grew greater. And finally, during the cold winter of 1944, my mother decided to flee to Germany, where her parents were living. So there's part of the reason why they traveled to Zwickau. She bundles, bundles us up and somehow managed to get us on one of the last refugee trains heading west. Traveling during that time was dangerous, and everywhere we went, the sound of explosions, the stressed faces, and ever-present hunger reminded us that we were in a war zone. Along the way, the train stopped occasionally to get supplies. And one night during one of those stops, my mother hurried out of the train to search for some food for her four children. When she returned to her great horror, the train and her children were gone. And by the way, as you listen to President Utdorf tell this story, he's, he's sharing this with great emotion. She was weighed down with worry. Desperate prayers filled her heart. She frantically searched the large and dark train station, urgently crisscrossing the numerous tracks while hoping against hope that the train hadn't already departed. 
Perhaps I will never know all that went through my mother's heart and mind on that black night as she searched through the grim railroad station for her lost children. That she was terrified, I have no doubt. I am certain it crossed her mind that if she didn't find this train, she might not ever see her children again. I know with certainty her faith overcame her fear and her hope overcame her despair. She was not a woman who would sit and bemoan tragedy. She moved, and she put her faith and hope into action. And so she ran from track to track and from train to train until she finally found our train. It had been moved to a remote area of the station, and there at last she found her children again. President Utorf said, I have often thought about that night and what my mother must have endured. And if I could go back in time and sit by her side, I would ask her how she managed to go on in the face of her fears. I would ask about faith and hope and how she overcame despair. Now, President Utdorf goes on from there to give or to share an incredible message on the infinite power of hope. Well, while in Zwickau, President Utdorf tells us that he played in bombed out houses. He grew up with the ever-present consequences of a lost war and the awareness, he said, that my own country had inflicted terrible pain on many nations during this horrific World War II. But you know, it wasn't all just doom and gloom. In fact, President Ufdorf then tells us that after World War II, my grandmother was standing in line for food when an elderly single sister with no family of her own invited her to a sacrament meeting. My grandmother and my parents accepted the invitation. They went to church. They felt the spirit were lifted by the kindness of the members and were edified by the hymns of the Restoration. How grateful I am for a spiritually sensitive grandmother, teachable parents, and a wise, white-haired, elderly single sister who had the sweet boldness to reach out and to follow the Savior's example by inviting us to come and see. Now, Elder uh, Uddorf, in another on another occasion, told us the name of this sister. It was Sister Ewig, but translated in German, it's Sister Eternal. Now, the Udorfs attend meetings there in Zwickau with the saints. Uh, they were impressed by the families, the children, the music, the singing, and they just felt at home. And many of you know what that feeling feels like, to feel like I am home. Uh, Dieter's parents and three older siblings joined the church. He was only six at the time, and so he had to wait until he was eight. And then he's baptized in Zwickau, East Germany, in a swimming pool. He said the church made an indescribable difference in our then very difficult lives. In fact, even in these trying times with extreme financial hardship, we were a happy family because we had the church. And then President Udorf reflected on uh, being a member of the church at a young age in East Germany. They attended church in an old villa, and the chapel had stained glass windows. And on that stained glass was Joseph Smith in the Sacred Grove. And President Udorf remembered that whenever the sun shone on it, I felt the story it illustrated and what I had learned in primary about the first vision were true. And this testimony was very important to me. He even tells us, and by the way, this is friend to friend, April 1999, a message to the young children of the church. But President Udorf told us that there was a pump organ in the chapel and one of his first callings in the church when he was eight and nine years old was to pump the organ so that the congregation could sing. And I always have believed that that conversion comes from participation. And I love that when President Udorf was just a, a young boy, 
that he had this great responsibility in the church. Hey, there's no singing in sacrament without President Utdorf. Well, his father, like I said, was drafted into the German army, uh, and uh, Sister Utdorf was taking care of the family on her own. And uh, while they're there, they are united, of course, as a family. Uh, they find each other. But in President Utdorf's father's name was Karl. Because he opposed both the communist and the Nazi regimes, their lives were in danger again. In fact, because of Karl's political position, uh, with that danger, the family's going to have to leave for the second time in seven years. They're going to be refugees all over again. And this time, they're going to take another journey, 199 miles, 320 kilometers, from Zwickau in East Germany to Frankfurt in West Germany. And, uh, you know, can you imagine the terror that must have been in the heart of 11-year-old Dieter Uddorf as his family flees their home in East Germany in 1952 to find freedom in the West? To avoid suspicion as they traveled, the family broke up into parts or pieces. They divided up. Uh, there was a plan implemented where... Dieter's two brothers, Wolfgang and Karl Heinz, took a northern route from Zwickau. Their sister, Christelle, traveled with two other girls on a train that passed through West Germany. In fact, as the train passed through West Germany, the girls persuaded the conductor to open the door, and they just jumped out of the train. I mean, they make movies about this stuff. This is incredible. Now, Dieter at the time was age 11, the youngest of the children, and he and his courageous mother took another route. They carried with them only a little food and precious family photographs that had been preserved from the destruction through World War II. And after Dieter and his mother had walked long hours, Sister Uddorf's knees began to weaken. Dieter carried their belongings and helped his mother climb a final hill to freedom. There they stopped to eat a meager meal, only to realize when they saw Russian guards that they were still shy of the border. The mother and son terminated their picnic, picked up their packs, and climbed even higher before reaching their goal. Dieter and his mother continued their trek as refugees, hitchhiking and walking to their destination at a suburb near Frankfurt. And after many long and perilous days of separation, the family was finally reunited. The brothers arrived first, their father followed, Dieter and his mother then arrived, and his sister came last, and their reunion was joyful. Of a lesser significance was the fact that they had left behind virtually all of their possessions if you could imagine that. And by the way, I'm quoting now from President Nelson, who wrote the article, President Dieter F. Uddorf, a family man, a man of faith, a man foreordained in the July 2008 ensign. So the Uddorf settled in Frankfurt, West Germany, never really expecting to see their homeland ever again. Here Dieter was ordained a deacon and taught to appreciate the value of work and service. He said, I was only a young child, and we had lost all material belongings twice within only seven years. We were refugees with an uncertain future. But how during those same seven years, he said, we gained more than any amount of money that money could ever buy. We found a supernal refuge, a place of defense from despair, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and his church, led by a true and living prophet. In Frankfurt, Elder Udor's parents operated a laundry and Dieter became a laundry delivery boy, and he envied other boys' bicycles. In fact, he remembers, quoting from him now, that I saw some shiny red bicycles, and I wished I could have had one to make my deliveries, but I needed a heavy-duty bicycle to pull the cart with the laundry on it. 
and I rode around pulling that heavy laundry cart before school and after school. It was hard to see the other children play, especially during the winter months, but everybody in our family had to work hard, and I knew I, I was an important part of the family business. I felt needed and valued. This is a great reminder of how we build future apostles on the work at on an incredible work ethic, the incredible principle of discipline, and I cannot imagine how hard it must have been for President Udorf growing up as a boy to have missed out on so much freedom and fun because he had to work. He added this. He said that he was often out of breath pulling that heavy laundry cart, but years later, when he went to join the German Air Force, the doctors found black spots on his lungs, evidence that he had had a lung disease in the past, unknown to anyone else. But because he had been so persistent at working hard, his body had built up enough strength to heal itself. He passed the physical and became a pilot and had that career for over 30 years, as many of you know. In fact, he dreamed of becoming a pilot. This is such a great story because it's all about pursuing our dreams. And from an early age, you know, we read a little while ago of how President Udorf was enamored by those planes, those war planes that would fly over his city. Um, and even though there was some danger, he just was was almost mesmerized by these airplanes. And by the age of 14, he's going to ride his bike to the Frankfurt airport almost every day and just watch planes take off and land and dream one day of being a pilot. But he knew that he would have to speak English to become a pilot. And uh, he found that very difficult. In fact, he learned Russian. And he, at the age of 10, he said that was difficult, but English was pretty much impossible. However, he was determined to, <laughs> to be a pilot. And he said, my mouth was just not made for speaking English. My teachers had a hard time. My parents were desperate. And I knew English was not my language. I just couldn't do it. It wasn't my thing. But being a pilot was definitely my thing. And this desire was so strong that suddenly the re resisting condition of my mouth changed. I was able to learn the language. Why? Because of a strong motive. And that's one of my great takeaways from President Udorf's life is this is a determined soul. If you tell him he can't do something, he's going to show us yes Stand back and watch, because here we go. Now, I mentioned Elder uh, Udorf as a boy, 14 years of age, and after that, sitting outside of the Frankfurt Airport on his bike, watching those planes take off and land. Little did he know, Elder Holland wrote, that he would eventually master the handling of a dozen major airplanes, including the Boeing, Boeing 747, perhaps the world's most readily recognized passenger plane. Furthermore, he could not have known that he would perhaps become the most readily recognized and honored commercial pilot to walk through the gates of that very airport that he now visited as a young boy. Another part of President Udorf's life and career is after finishing what we would call high school, he goes into the German Air Force and serves for six years in the Air Force. And there was this reciprocal relationship between the German and U.S. governments and so President Udorf actually goes to Big Spring, Texas uh, as a German to uh, receive fighter pilot training. While he's there, and by the way, I'm a Texan, so I can say it, but Big Spring, Texas, when you think of Texas, you're probably thinking of Big Spring, Texas. K 
cowboys, uh, oil wells, pump jacks, cattle, sagebrush. That's Big Spring, Texas, and that's where he was. And when he arrived there, the church was just building a branch building. And President Newdorf engaged in that, the building of that, uh, you know, that branch. And uh, he had a great experience doing that. He devoted a lot of time to doing that. In fact, so much time that his commanding officer chided him a little bit and said, hey, you're spending way too much time working on this building. You really need to be studying. But President Udorf believed that if he put the Lord first, that everything would fall into its proper place and that he would be taken care of. And sure enough, that's what happened, is he did put the Lord first. He did give every spare moment of his time to building that chapel. And as a result, he ends up winning the coveted commander's trophy. He becomes the outstanding student and pilot in his class. You'll know, we all know, that part of President Udorf's identity is being a pilot. There have been so many talks that he has given over the years uh, where he uses the metaphor or lessons from flying. In fact, there's even a book uh, about life at 30,000 feet. I mean, this, this is part of who he is, and uh, we love that about him. We love his passion for wanting to fly. In fact, this is a great place to share this story. This is from President Udorf's talk, Are You Sleeping Through the Restoration? April of 2014. But he said, Several years ago, President Thomas S. Monson and I were offered an opportunity to tour Air Force One, the magnificent aircraft that transports the President of the United States. There were painstaking security checks by the Secret Service, and I smiled a little as agents searched our dear prophet prior to boarding. Then the pilot in command invited me to take the captain's seat. It was a remarkable experience to sit at the helm of a wonderful flying machine like the kind I had flown for so many years. Memories of flights across oceans and continents filled my heart and mind, and I envisioned exciting takeoffs and landings at airports all over the world. Almost unconsciously, I placed my hands on the four throttles of the 747. Just then, a beloved and unmistakable voice came from behind, the voice of Thomas S. Monson. Dieter, he said, don't even think about it. No, I'm not admitting to anything, but it just may be that President Monson read my mind. And then President Utorf said this, when we are tempted to do things we should not do, let us listen to the loving warning of trusted family and friends our beloved prophet and always the savior. A little, a great little story about following prophets, right? Now let's talk about Harriet for a minute and how Harriet and Dieter's lives intersect. Because as many of you may have heard, President Newdorf fell in love with Harriet at, when they were teenagers. So here it is. It was a simple stick of chewing gum that ultimately brought Harriet Reich to the gospel and later to the love of her life, Dieter F. Udorf. When Harriet was a four-year-old girl living in Frankfurt near the end of the war, a handsome American serviceman who passed her on the street kindly offered her a stick of chewing gum. She took it hesitantly and never forgot the friendly gesture or the pleasant look on the young man's face. Roughly a decade later, two LDS missionaries knocked on the Reich's door, which Harriet opened while her mother called out to forbid them entrance. Seeing the same kind of look on the face of the, of the missionaries, she remembered the compassionate servicemen of earlier years and pled, Mother, please, just for a moment, let's let them in. The missionaries left a copy of the Book of Mormon with certain passages marked for emphasis. That night, Harriet's mother started to read. Harriet's father, by the way, 
had died eight months earlier. Harriet recalls, I couldn't tell you exactly what my mother read, but I watched her face and noticed something remarkable happening to her countenance. This little family had been living with the same terrible aftermath of the war that everyone else was living with, but the newly widowed mother of two young girls was pale and depressed, unhappy, and unclear about their future. But as her mother read from the pages of the Book of Mormon, Harriet said, I saw joy return to my mother's life before my very eyes, and I saw light come back into her eyes. I saw hope find a place in her soul. When the missionaries returned, they asked, Did you read the Mark Scriptures? I read it all, Sister Reich said. Or in other words, no, I read the whole book. Come in, I have questions I want you to answer. Harriet, her mother, and sister were baptized four weeks later. Life changed for us that day. Once again, we laughed and ran and found happiness in our home, and I owe it all to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In President Uddorf's talk, Your Happily Ever After, given in April of 2010, he said, Let me share with you a personal experience I had as a teenager while our family was attending church in Frankfurt, Germany. One Sunday, the missionaries brought a new family to our meetings who I hadn't seen before. It was a mother with two beautiful daughters, and I thought that these missionaries were doing a very, very good job. I particularly took notice of the one daughter with gorgeous dark hair and large brown eyes. Her name was Harriet, and I think I fell in love with her from the first moment I saw her. Unfortunately, this beautiful young woman didn't seem to feel the same about me. She had many young men who wanted to make her acquaintance, and I began to wonder if she would ever see me as anything but a friend. But I didn't let that deter me. I figured out ways to be where she was, and when I passed the sacrament, I made sure I was in the right position so that I would be the one to pass the sacrament to her. When we had special activities at church, I rode my bike to Harriet's house and rang the doorbell. Harriet's mother usually answered. In fact, she opened the kitchen window of their apartment on the fourth floor and asked what I wanted. I would ask if Harriet would like a ride to church on my bicycle. Harriet's mother would say, no. She will be coming later, but I will be happy to ride with you to church. This wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but how could I decline? And so we rode to church. I must admit I had a very impressive road bike. Harriet's mother sat on the top tube bar just in front of me, and I tried to be the most elegant bicycle driver over roads of rough cobblestone. Time passed, and while beautiful Harriet was seeing many other Young men, it seemed that I could not make any headway with her. Was I disappointed? Yes. Was I defeated? Absolutely not. Actually, looking back, I recognize that it doesn't hurt at all to be on good terms with the mother of the girl of your dreams. Years later, after I'd finished my training as a fighter pilot in the Air Force, I experienced a modern miracle in Harriet's response to my continued courting. One day she said, Dieter, you have matured much over these past years. Now, in the actual talk, President Udor says, I thought I was mature the whole time. But I moved quickly after that. Within a few months, I was married to the woman I had loved ever since I first saw her. The process had not been easy, and there were moments of suffering and despair. But finally, my happiness was full, and it still is even more so. President and Sister Utdorf are married on December the 14th, 1962, in the Swiss Temple. And to that union uh, are born two children, Anja and Guido. Uh, and they have a wonderful family life. In fact, his daughter Anja said that although our father was extremely busy, we knew we were his highest priority. 
and when he was home, he was totally devoted to mom and to us. She continued that everything is exciting to mom and dad. And dad, sorry, she said, dad makes everything exciting. He made everything an adventure. Even to going to the grocery store was an adventure. In fact, she talked about how her dad took them on some of the most exciting family vacations a child could imagine. And as you know, a pilot with all those airline miles and airline benefits, you could go to some wonderful places. She said, so as children, we were pretty much in a state of excitement one way or another all the time. For all that excitement, the children of their mother thought that their amateur photographer father and husband always got much too close to the lions in Africa. Angie remembers the quiet times with her father too. She says whether it was during his favorite pastime of looking up at the stars or sledding together in the winter or just sitting on the porch, my father was always teaching, she said. He loves the gospel and he was always helping us love it. His son Guido said, I don't remember any sermons. I just remember my dad always being interested in, in me. We had visits, which were often walks in the evening and on more special occasions, hikes in the mountains. And I love those times to talk. And in all those situations, my father taught us by example. I used to travel to distant wards or branches with him when he was stake president. And I was his home teaching companion when I held the ironic priesthood. That's how I learned about the priesthood and other responsibilities I would face firsthand, shoulder to shoulder, father to son. And while President Udorf was progressing and growing as a father and as a husband, <clears throat> he was also progressing and growing in his career. And in 1970, at the age of 29, he was made captain with the airline Lufthansa. And then in another meteoric rise, he was made the manager of the 737 fleet. And by the way, all these things may not mean much to you and I, but I've come to understand that these things were quite impressive. He became the director of the Arizona Training School for flights in 1975, chief pilot and head of cockpit crews in 1980, and then senior vice president of flight operations in 1982. While all that's going on, President Utdorf is also rising in his priesthood capacity and leadership capacity. He's called to be the president of the Frankfurt Germany stake. And think about the significance of that, of being called as the president of the stake that you grew up in. And then that stake divides, and he's called to be the president of the Mannheim Germany stake. We know that in 1994, President Udorf was called to be a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. And then in 2004, 10 years later, he was called to be an apostle. Of that, he said, it's been a roller coaster of emotions and feelings today for my wife Harriet and me. And if we didn't know that the church was true and that we have a living prophet at this time, then we would doubt this calling. But we know the church is true and we know that the call to serve in the holy apostleship is right. You know, President Udorf, along with Elder Suarez, has made this point very clear. And President Udorf said it this way, that I'm not a German apostle. I don't represent Germany. I represent the, the Lord, he said. Now, I will, read, I will share this with you, that he does join, he did join 10 other apostles born in foreign lands, and uh, he was the only one to come out of the Eastern Bloc of Europe. He was the first in more than 50 years to join the Quorum of the Twelve from a foreign country. The last was Marion G. Romney, 1951, who had ties to Mexico, but as I understand it, President Romney really lived in Salt Lake for most of his life. But the apostolic call is no respecter of national, political, or economic origin. 
We represent the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He made that very clear. One of the things that I think strikes all of us about President Udorf is his warmth and his love for people. Dinell Larson, Elder Dinell Larson, made this comment when he served in the area presidency in Western and Central Europe with President Udorf for a while. He said, Our area in those days covered much, most of Western and Central Europe uh, that had been affected by World War II. Everyone who knew Dieter loved him instantly. Elder Udorf so genuinely loves people and is so engagingly personable that wherever he went, he was embraced literally and figuratively. At one time, the German government was actually considering removing our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, either out of Germany or at least considering us as a cult. And to oppose this serious threat to the work, church leaders needed the most resolute and reputable German representatives they can find to go to the German delegation, to their Congress, so to speak, to their government, and testify on behalf of the church. And that was Dieter F. Utdorf. His bold, courageous presentation there was so persuasive and so articulate, and his reputation with the airline was so widespread and admired that the German officials who gave him audience were somewhat stunned at what they had inadvertently done. Basically, they said, look, if you're a Latter-day Saint, we do not need any more evidence than that. Your church will certainly not be included on any such list of religions in the future. You know, one of the things I'd like to conclude with today is this idea, and it was taught by President Ezra Taft Benson. He said, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out peace. Well, I share that idea with you because I looked at President Udor's very first general conference talk that he gave in 1994 as a new member of the Quorum of the Seventy. And in that talk, President Udorf delivers a fine talk. There's nothing wrong with his message at all, but it's very clear that he does not speak English that well. He didn't feel very comfortable, as who would, right, in their first conference talk. But it was pretty um, pretty simple, and maybe, uh, I don't want to say monotone, but a little bit of that. And then I just randomly picked a talk in 2009. I am doing a great work and cannot come down. And to see how President Udorf has learned to master the language of English, how he speaks English better than myself and any, almost anyone I know who's from our country, that he's passionate, that he's moving, that in my mind, Dieter Udorf has become one of the most powerful speakers and orators of our day, no question about it. And yes, Men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. And that's exactly, in my mind, what's happened with President Udorf, as the Lord has worked with him, molded him, shaped him, and crafted him into the incredible disciple of Jesus Christ he is today. Let me conclude with two experiences. The first one shared by Elder Holland, and then the second one by myself. In the final years of young brother Uddorf's high-level training as a pilot, he was flying 
solo with an instructor on his wing in another aircraft directing his maneuvers and giving instruction. In one particular maneuver, he was to represent an emergency landing by making an abrupt approach to the runway requiring a sharp, steep embankment of the airplane before leveling out just in time to land. As young Dieter made the maneuver and attempted his steep, angular descent, the steering control of his airplane did not respond. He had an airplane parlance, a stuck stick. The result would be a continuing roll of the airplane leading to a crash landing upside down. Bail out, called out the instructor, bail out. But the man with the courage of a bull, as one of his brethren described him, reversed the stick away from the extremity he had put it in and tried again to land. Once again, though, the mechanism froze. Bail out. The stern command came again, this time with genuine concern and the instructor's voice. Determined that he would be in charge of the aircraft and not the other way around, this future apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ wrestled physically with the steering somehow breaking it free from the earlier resistance, made his sharp descent as prescribed in what is now an imagined but very real emergency landing, not an imagined but very real emergency landing, and walked away grateful for divine help in times of need. That highlights in my mind President Udorf and his courage, and we've heard other stories and seen his determination Now let me share with you his love and his compassion. I don't know how many years ago it was now, but it must have been sometime in 2008, 9, or 10. President Newtdorf came to Dallas, and uh, I lived there at the time, and I was the bishop of our ward, and there was a training meeting held on a Saturday afternoon with all the bishops. And I remember thinking, really, we're going to have this meeting with a big BYU football game at the exact same time? So I went with a little bit of that feeling of not super excited for this meeting, but President Udorf was there. Elder Bednar was there, if I remember right. President Nelson may have even been there. I'm trying to remember all the apostles who were there. But as the meeting began, President Udorf stood and said, we would like to meet every one of you before we even start our meeting. So start row by row and come up and go through this. It was almost like a reception line, and we want to meet you. And true to form and true to how I would imagine the Savior, not just shaking hands and saying, all right, move it, move it, move it. We've got 500 people that we've got to get through this line. President Udorf and others tenderly and in a very interested way asked all of us questions, had a comment or two, shared some humor, In fact, I still remember that when it was my turn to shake his hand, he said, Ogletree. Now, what kind of name is that? And we talked about that for a few minutes, and I appreciated his humor. Now, remember, I had gone to that meeting with not the best attitude, because those meetings are usually like four hours long, and in Dallas, you're going to travel an hour to get there and an hour to get back. But man, at that point, I was all in. And I remember the training then that took place after that, And I remember how attentive I was. And part of that attention, maybe most of it, was being driven from the experience of knowing that these men cared about us. And particularly that President Udorf cared about us and that before they taught us anything, he wanted us to know that we were valued and loved as bishops and as priesthood leaders and that uh, they wanted us to feel their love and feel their concern and feel their prayers. And then I think the next question was, okay, bishops, what is it that keeps you up at night? 
and we shared those experiences. And uh, I still remember how delicate, how kind, and how in touch and in tune these men were, but particularly President Udorf, just a very kind and loving, compassionate man. I sustain him fully as a prophet, seer, and revelator, as a, a man who is full of faith, who is full of hope, who is full of love and optimism for our future. I'm grateful for his talks and his messages. His talks and his messages have been some of the most inspiring words that I've ever read in my life. <laughs>